0: ...modular, solar, battery storage... AI helping and with temperature management.
1: ...technological ...just microgrids overall. So data and AI is another important element right now. I mean, ears open right now and interested to learn more.
2: This episode was recorded at COP28 in Dubai. What does it really look like to build a sustainable future for the global majority? We are on a mission to find out. I'm Marilyn Waite.
1: And I'm Andrew Chang. And this is the Global South Climate Tech Podcast.
2: Where we unearth innovations that are redefining what's possible for an ecologically and socially just economy.
1: For the global majority. This is a really exciting episode that both Marilyn and I are very passionate about. We're talking to Eric Ma, Ma Ying Zhao, and Ramoka Shi, Shi Yiren. Both are founders of WeCarbon, a China-based tech firm that offers a carbon data platform to assist compliance, disclosure, and value creation for green certification, financing, energy management, and carbon assets. We talk not only about them as entrepreneurs, but we really jump to the macro level of what role does voluntary carbon markets play in the wider energy transition.
2: We also talk about all of these regulations that are helping climate action in the global south, specifically in China as well. And we don't shy away from the aspects of the ecosystem that also need improving and that could really help, including the climate financing part. Eric and Ramoka are clear experts in delivering carbon expertise to their clients and to the world. Very excited that they exist, that they created this new company after starting Shanghai Climate Week. But I don't want to give too much to our audience yet.
1: We just have to hear from Eric and Remoca themselves. Let's dive in. Very
0: excited to have you guys here. Tell me a little bit about WeCarbon and what you guys do. WeCarbon is a, a integrated solution provider for carbon management and ESG. We start WeCarbon in 2022, but actually the three of our founders have met a long time ago. At first, we are starting a social influence or social impact platform, which has already been released last year called Shanghai Climate Week. So, we are actually first start wanting to do something very impactful to the society and to the world. Uh, but actually, after that, we find each other's capabilities and specialties really aligned. So, like, we founded WeCarbon. WeCarbon has two subsidiaries, one focusing on consulting, which is mainly around helping listed companies and also SOEs and so on in the transformation of their ESG practices. And the other is around technology. We have a lot of technical products, including WeCarbon Cloud, our main product to manage the data and processes related to energy and carbon emission. And also we have some like CBAM tools and uh, our AI platform for certification and reporting and so on. So basically this is how WeCarbon has been funded and uh, our main businesses. That's very exciting. So it started with Shanghai Climate Week
1: and that's a sort of a perfect time for what's happening now, which is COP28. Yes. And I know there was a number of climate weeks leading up to yes. COP28. There was MENA Climate Week. There was... Uh, Latin America Climate Week and Asia Climate Week and Shanghai Climate Week. And it's exciting that you guys are part of this journey. So,
0: what is it that you guys hope to achieve uh, at this year's COP28 in Dubai? There are multiple missions we are trying to achieve here. First, as the New Energy Nexus uh, climate tech accelerator member, actually, we are very proud to be a part of the community using this networking opportunity to meet our peers and to understand how climate activists around the world are doing and also to try to understand how we can, whether the technology and our technology, our business model can be improved or can refer to uh, any other leading practices in the world. So basically this is our part of the community. And also in COP28, we are holding a release event in the China Pavilion. As a side event of Shanghai Climate Week, I want to use this opportunity to broadcast our ideas, especially on the like, younger generation's climate-related awareness. And in this afternoon, Rimoka also will share a gift to His Highness the Sheikh of the Sharjah Emirate. So basically, that is a part of our gratitude to the event and to the support of all the, the government of UAE and so on. Great.
2: I don't think I've ever said that word, His Highness. (laughs) I don't know if I can
3: do it. Just want to be official, maybe.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so you mentioned, Eric, listed companies. You serve listed companies and state-owned enterprises or SOEs. In China, we have three stock exchanges now, traditionally Shanghai, Shenzhen and very recently the establishment of a Beijing stock exchange. What are these stock exchanges requiring in terms of climate disclosure or carbon disclosure? And what about for the state-owned enterprises that are not listed? Is there a unit that is supporting climate disclosure among those companies?
0: Yeah, actually there is. Among China's listed companies or stock exchanges, Hong Kong is the earliest in adopting TCFD disclosure requirement or guidances. Shanghai and Shenzhen are actively doing that. Currently there are several regulations made by these two stock exchanges mainly around disclosing certain key aspect or key metrics related to ESG. For example, in the certain key sectors including chemicals and manufacturing and so on, there are disclosure requirements related to the metrics and also the listed companies are encouraged to generate and release the ESG reports. And that is on the listed, like, exchange side. And for the state-owned companies, the SASEC, which is the State Administration of State-owned Companies. So basically, the SASEC is, has a committee founded in 2021 called uh, the Social Responsibility Bureau, uh, which is the main administrative Office for the country's SOEs in conducting the social responsibilities and also ESG related issues.
2: Thank you. I forgot all about Hong Kong. I think they (laughs) definitely were the the, the pioneers in bringing a lot of the sustainability oriented disclosure. So I know that, for example, in Shanghai and Shenzhen stock exchanges, there has been a requirement to disclose scope one, two emissions, maybe even scope three eventually. But we were waiting on MEE, so the Ministry of Ecology and Environment, to release specific guidance. Has that yeah. come out yet or are we still waiting?
0: MEE has received uh, many regulations this year, mainly around the carbon market. For example, like last month, the MEE released uh, the new rules and regulations around uh, the CCER, which is the China-certified emission reduction it's a carbon credit in China's voluntary carbon market. So the rules and regulations have been clearer this year, and also there are four new methodologies released as a milestone to restart China's voluntary market. This is the part that gets the most attention this year. There are also other regulations released by MEE, including the compulsory disclosure of carbon emission, and also the CEA, which is a carbon quota system in the electricity sector to make the quota tradable across the country in electricity-related carbon reductions.
2: And just for our listeners, I want to provide that acronym again for SASAC. It's the State-Owned Asset Supervision and Administration Commission of the State Council. There you go. (laughs) Very long, but that is the entity that is... Supervising the very numerous and powerful state-owned companies in China. Yes,
1: exactly. These regulations that are being put out around MEE, can you tell me what is the intended impact?
0: The regulations around the, the voluntary carbon market has been longed for by the market for a very long time. So basically, China needs a voluntary market. Uh, What's a voluntary market? So, like, for a carbon market, there are two types of carbon market. One is a voluntary carbon market. It means when you voluntarily do something to reduce the carbon emission, you will be granted a carbon credit. And the other is the compulsory, mandatory carbon market, where you are granted quotas or you are granted a certain kind of, like, carbon assets And you must meet the requirement of the quota, for example, in the electricity sector in China. So a voluntary market is considered one of the most important ways to reduce the carbon emission because it provides incentive to various social departments to move the value from the carbon emitters to carbon savers or carbon sinks. So basically, this is the core logic of this. So in China, as the Paris Agreement implies, there must be a a voluntary carbon market. And this is how China has conducted and implemented its national DRC and also to make the economic logic of the carbon emission, the shangtan, the dual carbon, the carbon peak and carbon neutrality national strategy implemented.
2: Okay, I'm going to lean into this a bit because it is super controversial, carbon markets in general, right? So the experience in Europe has been a failure (laughs) 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 Um, in terms of actually reducing carbon emissions and the experience at the subnational level in the United States. So the California, for example, market, it has been successful in California at creating a pool of capital that then can be used for climate solutions. But in terms of actually concretely reducing greenhouse gas emissions, we have no evidence of that. Are you on the optimistic side that the Chinese voluntary carbon market will somehow not follow the trend and actually reduce emissions? What are your thoughts in general about the future of carbon markets in China, but also elsewhere, and the ability that they have to actually concretely reduce greenhouse gases?
0: For sure, we are optimistic. Rimoka and I had a speech in Tsinghua University about how carbon market can accelerate the transition of net zero. So basically, the transition of net zero should not be done only by advocates or government's actions, so on. It is should be done with a, let's call a economic cycle. First of all, you do something that reduce the carbon emission, and then you get rewarded. So such event or such action has a higher ROI. And then there is a bigger market there. And also the capital will uh, find it profitable to invest in such kind of behavior or such kind of business activities. So using this cycle, we will end up with a green economy that is not only good for the environment, but also economically sustainable. So the voluntary carbon market is a very important part of it. We also have been developing some voluntary market assets. One with number 331 of the Fortune 500 company, which is the province-owned energy company called Shanxi Coal and Chemical Group. So we help them develop forestry carbon sink products and assets, and also such assets has been distributed and allocated to the uh, local villagers and the local workers who plant that, those trees and also to their staff. So basically, this is not only good for the environment, not only it, it is profitable, but also it creates a very good social engagement to let everyone participate in this kind of activities.
2: So let's stay on that theme for a bit. How do you approach JEDI? Or justice, equity, diversity, inclusion. In the Chinese context, we would often talk about common prosperity or shared yeah. prosperity, gong tong fuyu. Yes. How is that integrated into your work with your clients?
0: This is a very important issue related to the debt zero transition. This transition is not only a transition that should happen, like in the government, but also should arise the awareness in the general public. So this has already been a principle in our client engagement. For example, with the state-owned company, we help them develop the carbon asset following the CCER, China Certified Emission Reduction methodology, to help them develop a voluntary carbon asset in forestry, carbon sink. But that is not the end. In many cases, this is the end of our service. like To deliver this asset, to help them issue this asset in the Beijing Green Exchange, and then to Get a profit back. We also work with them in doing a lot of things related to where the forests are situated, uh, the county level, governments, and uh, the people in the rural areas. We also propose to have a like science education class in the schools and primary and middle schools in those rural areas. To let them aware what are the like the dual carbon national strategy and like what is the voluntary market and how the trees they plant can become the carbon asset. And also we are distributing those assets to this general public as well. So basically by doing that, we can say we not only created value, we distributed great value and make sure the value is not only be earned by those large enterprises, but also like be a like good welfare for the general public.
3: So just besides we serve the maybe China SOEs, so we also serve the of companies, especially if the companies in the Hong Kong exchange. We write a lot of ESG report for them to meet their uh, regulations and requirement from exchange. But also we have a lot of exercises and ESG practice to uh, influence their behaviors, no matter it's just like the corporate social responsibility behavior and also for the management knowledge inside of the company because a lot of companies think okay, we want to do something good we want to do the corporate responsibility things we just only donate money so what we do is we combine the knowledge of ESG which is environment, social and governance inside of their management model so they, they can just embed the ESG, this kind of knowledge into their main products and services and also relates to their clients. So that's the reason why from one kind of the ESG report and to the end, we can also help our clients really serve the world and make the world better.
1: That's great. So you're you're helping these Chinese companies not only better understand their supply chain and their value chain in, in terms of the carbon emissions with the ESG reporting, but you're also providing potential solutions as well as how to address those. Are you able to share any successful
0: or a case study of which you helped a Chinese company address those things? Let's start with a low carbon concrete maker in China, yeah. so, which is also a startup company. Before our engagement, the company is making low carbon concretes which is from the red mud of the aluminous uh, refineries. So basically, that has a lower carbon footprint and also considered green in the construction sector. So basically, before engagement, they are already in the green sector or are green-related industry, but has not been aware how such kind of green advantage can take effect. So basically, we start with the ESG report, as Remoka remote cassette, and then we help them build a management framework and also the data management system to help them track the ESG-related metrics and targets. So basically through this journey we also help them discover how they can convert the green related value to economic value for example we assisted them in acquiring the green loans in their new plants with the act green the green business activity has been recognized by the bank and then following the standards and regulations they are granted a green loan with a longer tenure and also lower interest rate so right. that is how we convert the green value to the economic value.
1: That's really impactful, getting access to these green loans and the financing at a low interest rate. Without this climate finance, it's very difficult to actually deploy, especially with as these are manufacturing plants. That's that, true. That it's very high cost. I love how deep we're getting into the technology. And maybe I'd like to talk a little bit about your story as an entrepreneur. You said you, you started a social organization. Uh, Before this Shanghai Climate Week, but, you know, maybe I'd love to hear from you, Ramoka, of your journey to here. Where did you grow up and how did you come to work in this field? And uh, why are you so passionate about it?
3: Yeah, for sure. Thanks for your question. And before we carbon, actually, I graduated from Columbia University's School of International and Public Affairs with my focus on international finance, economic policy, and also the energy and environments. So all the guys, you can see why I get involved into the ESG topics and climate topics. I started to get involved into making a lot of industry leading standards, especially for the international organizations, governments, especially for Fed government, and also for a lot of industry associations and besides of it i get mm, actively participating in a lot of climate related events and also because i think i want to extend my passion about the asian climates into the Philosophy and also the social activities, that's the reason why I came to establish the Shanghai Climate Week Youth Council, uh, it's, it's kind of part of Shanghai Climate Week. We focus on rallying the young people worldwide, including China ones, to promote the knowledge about the sustainable development, biodiversity, and also international collaboration.
1: That's very exciting. Tell me more about some of the youth work because youth empowerment around climate Mm -hmm. is such a major topic. It's it's one of the thematics at COP. Tell me a little bit more about some of that work, some of the activities that you do, and any trends that you're seeing among youth in terms of being part of the major movement that's happening.
3: Mm Mm-hmm. A sustainable future is not only to implement some technology and a lot of policies. The most important thing is involving and empowering a lot of younger generations because a lot of bright minds, they can do a lot of activity things to really get involved in addressing climate changes. And also for these days, we hold a lot of forums and also some interesting art festivals to maybe involve a lot of ASG information into the masterpieces and to use the content, the power of content, the power of art to disseminate the importance of ASG and also the importance to addressing the climate challenges.
2: Amazing. So as the We Carbon founding team, what is your biggest challenge right now?
0: I want to say this is not only a challenge, but like this is the common problem that, entrepreneurs will face. Especially in China, when we grow, we are very frequently asked about the question whether you get any support from SOEs or whether the data from your platform would be certified or be recognized by the government authorities so that such data certification can be used in acquiring certain kind of economic value and so on. So that's also what we are actively seeking collaborations with the government and authorities. We are the strategic member of the Ministry of Industry and Information Technology. So basically that's the way we engage with their certifier body to connect our data to the certifier body to help our clients to Better get the certification. So basically, engaging with the public sector is always a topic, a very important topic in China. Entrepreneurs, and that's also an aspect that we are having very good progress on that.
3: Yes, before mentioned the ESG related regulations not, not really mature in China we still at really early stage so one of our challenges is to really raise the awareness of importance of ESG to listed companies and also for some industries. And then uh, we do a lot of efforts to really write or develop different industry-leading standards to push a lot of people know about ESG and know how important ESG to their own management. And also they can really achieve no matter the social values and also some economic values.
0: So it's a very non-traditional experience as an entrepreneur. So basically, when you do some other sectors, like sometimes a business case or business model can be very easy. You want to buy this one, I have this one deal. But like in ESG, we usually start with education. Start with letting them know what is ESG and how ESG should help. Like some of our clients start reluctantly and think, ESG is not related to me, or this is not a relevant topic, but end up thinking ESG really helped me a lot, both from a social responsibility side and from an economic side. So, you know, the major focus of this year's COP
1: is on the Global South. (laughs) Yeah. And the title of this podcast is also a Global South Climate
0: Tech podcast. Where do the worlds of your work in the Global South tie together? First of all, China is a part of Global South. But we are actively seeking opportunities to globalize our current business models and our products. We are trying to use the standard products and the already validated business model in China. And to spread that and globalize that, because we think in the topic of net zero or emission reduction, there, there are a lot of things in common across the world, like with each country. So basically, we are now currently developing a technical asset to help the cross-border carbon registration or like addressing of the carbon-related regulations to help the companies connect their data and help them resolve the certain challenges around that. So basically by doing that, we are not only helping Chinese customers, we are helping customers around the world to deliver such kind of uh, impact or such kind of services.
2: So this is really key. The European Union's Carbon Border Adjustment Mechanism, or CBAM policy, has changed the game globally, especially in China. Can you tell our listeners more about what's happening on the ground with respect to this CBAM policy coming from the EU?
0: CBAM has been in effect since October the 1st, 2023. The first phase of CBAM focused on six industries, including metal, iron, cement, and so on. So basically, in these industries, as the policy is like has just been taking effect, a lot of manufacturers in China has not been aware of the policy change. Some other companies have such kind of awareness but uh, has no clue what to do because it's not only uh, like policy, you, you pay the tax and you go, like there are a lot of mechanisms, uh, including you need to certify your product carbon footprint. And also you need to use your own or register a new URI number so that you can have a declared entity in Europe. So there are like a lot of details And also including how to fill up the reporting, like the reporting forms. Seven different kinds of the forms.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's the EU for you. Uh, Yeah.
2: (laughs) Oh wow.
0: Yeah. So so that way we are not only using our platform, like we're developing a platform to automate this journey, but also we are using AI, artificial intelligence, for example, to generate some of the contents and like help answering some questions from the customers regarding CBAM. So by using this way, we can swiftly connect the corporates to the new policy not letting them feel like they are disconnected or like they are very confused around this. So basically, this is how our product does.
2: How does it work exactly? So there's a product that's manufactured in China that they have to produce the carbon footprint of that product. And if that carbon footprint isn't at a certain level, then they have to pay a tax to the European Union? Or how how does it work?
0: The principle of CBAM is to prevent carbon leakage. So basically, by doing that, when goods are importing into Europe, their carbon footprint is measured and also their carbon footprint must be offset by the EU ETS, the European Union's uh, emission trading systems carbon asset. So these products must reach net zero before importing into Europe. So this is like the mechanism of CBAM. So basically when your carbon footprint is very high, you must buy a lot of CBAM certificates Mm -hmm. to offset that
2: oh, this is a way of saving the European carbon markets, <laughs> which I already identified was a failure. Okay, so this is going to try to fix that. Okay, that makes sense. I did not realize, but it's kind of clever. Okay, do you think this will lead to concrete emissions reductions in China for those products? If they are able to reduce the emissions on the ground in China, that means their carbon footprint will be lower, so they don't have to purchase these credits
3: in yeah, europe right? for sure
0: the european credits are way more expensive right yeah. <laughs> so Just the better like way for them
2: at least 15 times the price okay that might be a winner thinking about the global south including china if there is one thing you could do or that you think could be done in the world to really support climate action in the global south what would it be
3: Definitely just build up the Global South Fund to support decreasing the carbon footprint activities from the corporates. Because we do think the economic incentive really works for a lot of corporates to really achieve net zero emissions.
0: Yeah, Uh, I agree with Ramoka. One mission of that fund should be to mobilize private capital. So a lot of funds just invest based on their mandate or policies. But the most important thing is to point a direction for the private capital and then like to mobilize those private capital to co-create those investments.
3: Especially the most important thing is just like really embed the ESG metrics Mm -hmm. into the consideration of investment decisions. I think this is really important because when we really serve a lot of the investment corporations, we don't think they really do a good job at involving the ESG metrics into their investment decisions. That's the reason why we see not a lot of money
2: mobilize the social capital Thank you so much, Eric and Ramoka, for joining us today in Dubai, here at the Dubai Marina.
1: Thank you guys so much. This has been an incredible learning journey for all of us. We got to touch upon your work at WeCarbon, Carbon, the impact that you guys deliver to corporates, also on the macro level, the policies and regulations that are in place to ensure that companies are being held accountable for the carbon emissions, but also people on the ground are uh, being empowered and supported and incentivized to be able to continue to deliver on carbon reduction solutions. And we also got to learn a little bit about your own background and your journey to becoming an entrepreneur. So finally, where can people find you or get in touch with you?
3: Uh, it's kind of two ways. First of all, our email. Our official email is info at Dot .com and another one is from our official website you can find it at the 3w.wecarbon.com w e c s w e
0: c a r b. Uh, you must remember there's a dash between we and carbon oh, sorry i forgot <laughs> that
2: <laughs> do you have a wechat account oh
0: uh, yeah for we those do on have WeChat? Okay. yeah we
3: do have but maybe in chinese we tan ke ji
2: great Thank you.
3: Thank you.
1: For those interested in learning more about the Global South Climate Tech podcast and the organizations behind it, please check out www.gsclimatetech.com.
2: The Global South Climate Tech podcast is produced by Frequency Media.
1: This episode was recorded on-site at COP28 in Dubai. Our executive producer is Michelle Corey.
2: Our sound designer, field engineer, and editor is Claire Bideggeri-Curtis.
1: Our producer is Lizzie Stewart, and our associate producer is Sara Naz Babayi.
2: And we're your co-hosts, Marilyn Waite
1: and Andrew Chang.